8 o'clock. And it's been so much fun. It's been such a blessing. We've been having lots of kids come, and it's, it's just been really a great, great thing, great things that God is doing in youth group, and I'm sure for the kids as well. Um, and with that, we actually do have some things, kind of a wish list that we're requesting. Um, and this will be posted on the announcements that are sent out weekly and then also on Facebook. Um, but just a few of the things we're looking for, like a mini fridge or a full fridge, drum stool, um, mounting brackets for a tom drum, computer monitor, like kickballs, volleyballs, basketballs, just all kinds of things that we're in need of right now, um, especially with our youth group expanding and growing. We're definitely in need for extra things, which is a good thing. Um, and so if you have any questions about this, then talk to Peter or I, or I know Zach has some answers to some of that too. Um, and then to make your checks out to TCC, and you can place them in the offering, and then just note in the memo that it's for youth group, or if there's something specific, then just put that on there as well. Um, and then also on Wednesday nights at 6.30 is the TCC Kairos, Kairos? I'm looking at Kairos, <laughs> okay. Um, so Kairos gathering, and that is, I know that's been going well as, as well, so it says, come hungry, thirsty, and expecting. I know God's been doing a lot of great things in that time as well, and I believe it's usually in the sanctuary here. Um, and then for giving the tithes and offerings, you can either mail them to 10 Strike Community Church, P.O. Box 67, 10 Strike at 56683, or give online. Um, the website is 10strikechurch.com. And then actually, I have a special announcement that I'd like to make. Many of you know that since September, I have been a part of a ministry school, um, and it was hosted, and we're still continuing, but it's hosted at River City Church. It was, it's in Beside. And um, as part of that school, us students are in charge of planning an event. And so we've been working hard on that and we're really, really excited. And so I'd like to invite all of you to that. It's on May 15th and it's like kind of like a conference setup. So it's from 12.30 to 5.30. Um, but I promise it's a lot of really good stuff packed in there and it's called Encounter, Unleash Your Identity. So the best way I can describe it is it's really just a journey on connecting to the Holy Spirit and connecting to the identity in Christ that we have and then releasing that, unleashing that. And so I'm, we're super, super excited and I would just love to have any of you that would love to come. Again, it's May 15th from 12.30 to 5.30. Um, the very last portion is actually like a little mini graduation ceremony for the first year um, for the program that I've been a part of. So, yeah, come join us and, yeah, just get set free, like, have some healing. It's, it's just going to be really, really good. So, um, I do also want to mention today that Adon and Maria are cooking us a meal. I'm very excited about that. And uh, Rob Salmonson is going to be bringing us the message today. Also excited about that. <laughs> um, and here, without further ado, I will introduce Judy Fowler, who is going to do the blessed life for us. Thank you. I think I'll stand up on this. Tall enough to see over this thing. Well, lot, some of you have read this or heard it, but I thought there's enough out there you haven't. God has told me to write my testimony. Where do I start? You would say in the beginning. 
But since this is the most on my mind at the moment, I'm going to write about one of the most recent major events. Just about two years ago, actually, I wrote this in December, so it's a little more than two years ago. In November of 2018, I began to have trouble with my water pump. The points would stick, and I had to walk out to the pump house. About 150 feet of walking around the end of the house and out across my backyard through the snow. Once there, I needed to open the door, some scraping and shoveling, then lift the cover on the box built around the pump. This is about six feet long by three feet wide and four feet high, sheathed in treated plywood and well insulated. Then I needed to climb on a chair and reach behind the pump and wrap on the little box that houses the points. The pump would click on and begin to pump water. It would shut itself off when I was done using the water. If I hurried before it got up to pressure, I could manage a shower, flush a toilet, and whatever else I could do in that window of time. After a couple of weeks of this, the snow got deeper. This was the only time anyone walked back there, and I was often waiting in fresh snow. As I made the journey out there one day, I finally realized I couldn't keep this up all winter. I am 76 years old at this time. As I rapped once again, I finally said, stop sticking in the name of Jesus. Why did it take you so long, you might ask. Sorry, I'm like that, kind of independent, thinking I can manage. The points didn't stick anymore. About a month later, the water line froze up where it enters my mobile home. The water line came up under the home with several feet of exposed pipe wrapped with a heat tape, then with insulation. There was skirting, which was a two-by-four frame with treated plywood screwed on. My son-in-law had installed this for me and had left a kind of door area where I could allegedly access the water pipe. Unfortunately, he screwed this on all around the edges, including about two inches above the ground, Snow two foot deep, all the screws iced over, I couldn't get the door off. I thought the heat tape was plugged in, so I didn't know if I should bother anyone and just put up with it, independent person that I am. I know, it's just prideful. So I began to carry water from my son's house and use a bucket when the sewer line also froze up. You know what I was doing with the bucket. Turns, turns out the heat tape had gotten unplugged. There were two cats and some rabbits that had taken up residence under there. You can imagine the activity going on. This went on for about four months. The water finally thawed out toward the end of April. Much joy and praising God ensued. During the winter, I was heating partially with an electric furnace at night and firing up my wood stove during the day. Cute little thing, but it was old, and it finally cracked and began to smoke badly. Everything was covered with a film of black soot. That was the final straw for me. I knew I couldn't afford to heat totally electric, and I don't need this much space anyway. My mobile home was 14 feet wide by 72 feet long, with a 20-foot by 18-foot addition built on by my son when they had lived there. The addition is a 12-foot-wide bedroom with a 6-foot-wide partial bath. Just needed a shower installed. So I approached my grandson, Billy, when he came over to plow a late spring snowfall. Billy is my oldest daughter's son with four big, strong brothers like him, and he gets things done. I had $4,000 in the bank, and I thought that if they would pull my trailer out of there and build about eight feet onto my addition, that would be enough for a nice kitchen, and they could bring the water and electricity up in there. Voila, no more water problems. He said, oh, we can do better than that. So the summer came and went. This is 2019. Nothing had gotten done. 
They had talked about it, but Billy and Steve were in construction and didn't really have time until work stopped for the winter. Finally, the last week in October, they got some time. Billy and Kurt, his dad, came along with Carson, Billy's son, and my brother, Ron. We hired my nephew, Josh, and a couple of grandnephews also to help. It's a big job to move a mobile home, skirting to remove, the trailer's blocked way up to level it. That has to be removed, disconnecting electrical, water, and sewer. Then there was a 10 by 20 foot deck to move away, a woodshed attached to the mobile home, and all the connecting to my addition. This had electrical, sewer, and water hookups, plus being actually fastened to the trailer. They got the trailer moved and parked over on my property out of the way. Ron installed a temporary electric line for working and to keep things in my addition running. They closed up the open end of my addition, put in a door for me, and began doing some groundwork. Kurt did this with a skid steer, leveling, digging out the area for the new construction. Over the next couple weeks, Billy and his brother Steve, <clears throat> with Kurt's help, and Carson and Steve's son Jacob, actually built a 24 feet by 20 foot house attached to my addition. They got the framework done, closed it in, installed a door, roofed it with steel, trenched in electric line, water line, and sewer pipe. At this point, I'm still staying in the addition, using space heaters to keep warm, a hot plate to cook on, and ye old bucket for a bathroom. But the wall they put on the end of the addition was only temporary and had to be removed to finish the roof. Now it is just too cold to stay in there. I moved over to my son Frank's and his good wife Bethany's basement bedroom for the next four months until we were able to heat the whole house. Now Billy and Steve were done, and the rest was up to whoever I could get to help me. They didn't charge me for the labor, but all the materials were charged on my Home Depot and Menards cards. I got my brother Ron and son Frank to do the electrical. Ron also brought my electric furnace in for my mobile home and installed it, along with ducting under the floor. I hired Josh, my nephew, to do the sheetrock, install windows and insulate the attic, put new steel on the old addition roof, do the plumbing, move the toilet and sink from the old bathroom, install a shower, kitchen cabinets, and finish in closing the crawl space and backfill. I did the insulation, plastered the sheetrock, and painted the walls, ceilings, and kitchen space, and backfill. I mean, and <laughs> cabinets. I forgot to mention the walls were nine feet tall in order for the roof lines to match up. That's a lot of times up and down the ladders for a woman who is now 77. Trimmed me down some. Sometime in April, Josh went out and plugged the pump in. It started right up, but it needed to be primed. It took about a cup of water and has been starting and running ever since. Now the main point of all this. Back in November, of course, I realized $4,000 wasn't going to pay for all of this. So here I am at church one morning, and Pastor Steve, after the sermon, instructed us to gather in small groups to pray for some specific things, and then to pray for whatever we wished. I was sitting right behind Joyce, the pastor's wife, so she and I sat together and prayed. Then she asked me what was going on in my life. So I told her, and also said I didn't know how I was ever going to pay for it but it was sure going to be a nice home. So she prayed and ended by saying that money would come in from places I couldn't even imagine. I am on Social Security. My monthly check is under $900, and it barely covers monthly expenses. I get $300 a month for my son for the house they bought from us. They usually pay it in one lump sum, when they get their income tax refund. So I'm thinking this, this is going to cost upwards of $20,000. I'll be many years paying it off. 
Joanna, my daughter, had promised she would give 200 a month until it was paid off, so she began the day they pulled out the trailer. Then in April 2020, her daughter, Jalen, who was 15, got a lump sum payment because her dad got on disability. Joe asked her what she wanted to do with her tithe. She said, I'm going to give it to Grandma to help pay for her house. Wow, it was $1,400. Then my grandson Elias, who was seven, came over with a handful of change. It's all I have. Are you sure you want to do this, I asked. Positive, he said. It was $4.57. Bethany said he prays for me every night that I would get my house finished. Double wow. He also helped Joe and me when we were installing siding, being the gopher, handing tools and dragging long pieces of siding to us. Bethany also helped a lot on the fascia. She also installed my flooring hard on, hard on old knees and young ones. Then I got the $1,200 stimulus check. Who would have thought that would happen? And of course, Frank and Bethany made their house payment. Joanna has contributed $3,100. Then, oh dear, something terrible happened. Pastor Steve's mom, my dear friend Joyce, was diagnosed with bone cancer. They asked me to help her. I began staying with her, cleaning, cooking, doing laundry, and acting as personal care attendant, along with Shirley, who stayed weekends. I wouldn't have missed the experience of being with our precious Grandma Joyce, but that is another story for another time. After a couple weeks, it became a paid position. I worked six hours a day, five days a week, for about six months. Joyce flew up to heaven on November 19th, 2020. I'm sure she was saying, the joy of the Lord is my strength, as she went. That was her mantra. I paid off my final debt at Home Depot the first week of December 2020. The total cost, so far, $20,300. I would have never wanted Joyce to get sick. I'm going to miss her so much. But God knew he had a plan for me. And my pump is still working. Triple wow. Well, you all know that God is the great provider, that he has a plan for each of us. And that uh, as you tithe, he blesses you. He's promised to, and he does. And he loves us. You don't have to worry. Who would have ever thought that a woman 78 years old could work and could pay off money like that? I I thought I'd be paying that for 10 years. Well, thank you, Lord. And Lord, please just bless all of us as we put that money in that box because you have told us that you will provide all our needs according to your riches in glory. We don't have the riches. We don't have to even worry about having riches because you have it all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning, everyone. Everybody ready to go? I'm glad you are. I hope I am too. We'll make it through this. You know, I think uh, it blesses me to see different people doing different things in the church with just such ease and confidence. And I'm like, man, where did they get that spirit? That freedom, that peace. I mean, we know where they get it from. But I've shared with a couple of gentlemen in our church in the past that I think the closer, the older I get, the closer I realize I am coming to he who is the Holy of Holies. 
And the more awesome that is, the more trembly I get, realizing I have a ways to go yet. Today I'd like to talk about discerning God's will. And it's not going to be any quick solution. It's not going to be like instant mashed potatoes in a box and you add a little water and poof, there it is. Now we know God's will. But as we go through the message today and various scriptures, I'm trusting that the Lord will at least plant little seeds of faith, of hope, of desire within each one of us so that we can receive from him his goodness. Uh, And I was thinking when Judy was sharing, isn't it nice to know that our heavenly home is being built for us and it's all paid for already? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father God, we, oh, we come into your presence today, Lord, with excitement and anticipation, with joy in our hearts, knowing how much you love us, Lord. I ask you to open your holy word to us, each each of us, Lord, and let the words of our mouth today and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our salvation. Amen. I was reading in Psalms, well, I bounce around in the Bible and I also read through the Bible, but several months ago I was reading in the book of Psalms. David wrote many of the Psalms, and many of those Psalms are so uplifting when you read them. And some are a little scary, but one in particular, I'd like to just give you a brief background before we put the one tiny little verse I want to basically share about today uh, up on the, project up on the wall. Uh, David was, at this point in time, in great distress. He was crying out to the Lord. The enemy had persecuted him. His spirit was overwhelmed. His spirit was failing. It's right there, right in this psalms, right in this psalm that we're going to refer to. His heart felt desolate, and his soul thirsted for the Lord. He wanted to be delivered from his enemies. And in the midst of this, What is it that David cries out? What would we cry out if our heart was desolate and our enemies were persecuting us and our spirit was failing us? Well, let's look at just the very first part of verse 10, chapter 143 in Psalms. This is what David cried out. Teach me to do thy will. Teach me to do thy will. Now, when I came across this verse again months ago, I'm sure I'd read it many times over the years, but it struck me as being, wow, that's one of the, that's got to be one of the shortest sermons ever. Now, I don't want to get you too excited because I'm not quite as gifted with being short in my words, so this service is going to take a little while. But I just thought, what an amazing thing for David to cry out, in the midst of what he was going through. Lord, teach me to do thy will. Well, teach, thinking of the word teach. Has anybody here ever taught anyone? And a lot of times we think of, well, you know, school teachers, Sunday school teachers teaching students. But we have coworkers teaching each other. We have friends teaching friends. Any parents in the room ever had to teach your children a thing or two? I'm not saying you were successful, but you're working on it. We're all working on it. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of teaching that goes on, and chances are what we've learned in life, we've learned from someone teaching us or leading by example. How exactly are kids and students taught? Can they learn without paying attention? Can they learn without studying? Can they learn without applying principles or actually practicing what they've been taught? 
What chance do kids have of learning if they don't even attend class? What chance do Christians have of learning if they don't even attend class? Church. And isn't it true, I know all of you that have taught, you know this is true, that to be believable, you have to first learn the lesson, study the lesson, get it in your heart and in your spirit, and believe it so that you can present it with God's authority to those you're sharing with. How exactly are we taught in our Christian lives? John 14, 23 Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Well, how can we obey his teaching if we've never learned it? And how does God teach us? Well, he sent his Holy Spirit to teach us. He's given us the Bible, his holy word, and his source of genuine truth. It's true. It's so true. We need good Christian people. We need good Christian people who have gone before us in life, uh, weathered the storms of life. Good examples, we need them to help point the way. But the surest and most direct path is for us to each personally accept and follow Jesus, who stated in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I am a way. I am a truth. No, no. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. We need to be in the word. That's the best advice I can give you today. We need to be in Jesus. Jesus is the word, and we need to be in him. So how does God test us? Could it be that God tests us by seeing if we will actually do things that we've learned from him? I mean, how can you prove your students' knowledge but by testing them, challenging them? I'm gonna pick on them a little bit here, not too much. Adam, Sharon, in January, talked about being doers of the word and not hearers only. Remember faith without works is dead faith? Remember that little squash seed Adam pulled out of his pocket? I do. He put it on the table and he commanded that seed to grow. Didn't work. Didn't work. But, Adam had faith. He absolutely had faith that that seed would bring forth substance and provide evidence of God's miraculous work. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Adam had faith that that seed would bring forth substance and provide evidence. But Adam had something more. Adam knew he needed to exercise wisdom with God's word and become a doer by planting that seed into good soil, watering it, and nurturing it. Somewhere along the line, I don't know who, but someone taught Adam how to plant a seed. And maybe that was when you were tested on that Sunday. (laughs) But it was good you brought soil with you. Did a good job. Adam proved he had learned the lesson on how to plant that seed. Since that time, I think he's been practicing lots of uh, old patience and maybe some long-suffering, waiting for that plant to mature. It's, it's coming, it's coming. We needed warm weather first. Again, bouncing back quick to that verse in Psalms, teach me to do thy will. Teach who? Teach me me to do thy will. David wasn't crying out to the Lord about anything else 
in the midst of all his troubles, he was crying out to the Lord, teach me to do thy will. You know, often we think it's the other person that maybe needs to hear a lesson, a sermon, a teaching. Boy, if only so-and-so were here to hear that message. I hope my husband's listening. Or I hope that person in front of me or to the side of me or behind me is listening. That's not what this verse is about. This verse is about me. Everybody say, this scripture is for me. This scripture is for me. Amen. Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5 talk about, these verses talk about uh, removing the beam from our own eye first before we can see clearly enough to help a brother or a sister with a little speck that's in their eye. So don't be worried about the, the other person. Worry about yourself. Recently on the television program on the History Channel, American Pickers, I don't know how many have ever seen that show. But one of the guys said, uh, made the comment, don't blow out someone else's candle just to make yours look brighter. So let's not be focusing again on the other person's. Let's just be focusing on our own little candle, our own little time with the Lord. And let's be growing that candle brighter and brighter. Teach me to do thy will. Now we're gonna look at Ephesians chapter two. These are very common verses to people, those that have been Christians for a long time. Verses eight through 10, look first at verse eight and nine. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, everybody say not of works. works. Say it again, "Not not of works. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. But you know, out of the multiple dozens of times I've heard these scriptures taught over the years, so often verse 10 is left off. Actually, a couple times in this church, I would say within the last half a year, three-fourths of a year, verse 10 was included. I was almost shocked. So I would like to kind of focus in a little bit more on verse 10 because it's a continuation I think, of verses 8 and 9. Verse 10, for, see we're continuing here, for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are God's workmanship. God who knit us together in our mother's womb, who continues to shape and to mold us, and sometimes, ouch, he prunes us. But it's all for our good. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, why? Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Walk in those good works. In the New International Version, uh, I believe it says, which God has prepared in advance for us to do, these good works. God's prepared them in advance. Listen, we don't get any credit, okay? We're not the ones that think up the good works and do the good works and, oh, we can make another check mark by our name or whatever, put a gold star up. God has already prepared the good works in advance for us. But why? To do the good works. God wants us to do them, to walk in them, the King James says. Again, let's go to Psalm 143, that first part of verse 10. Teach me to what? Teach me to do thy will. To do thy will. We need to do something. Faith without works is dead faith. It's not really enough to just think about good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do, but rather we are to do them. James chapter 4, verse 17 tells us that anyone who knows the good they should do and doesn't do it, sins. Ouch, that one hurts a little bit too. 
like a little bee sting or something. A little reminder, anyone that knows the good they should do and doesn't do it, sins. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your, anyone? Good works. And glorify God. That's what that scripture ends with. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God. Let's look at Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Sometimes people say, well, I'm not really sure what the Lord wants me to do. Here's a helpful verse. He has shown thee, he has shown me, he has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require thee? but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. To do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly. All those take action. To do something takes action. To love something, someone, takes action. What's the last? To, to walk. And to walk takes action. To do, to love, to walk. They all require action. Teach me to do thy will. Whose will? God's will. Not our will. Well, how do we know his will for us as individuals? We study the word. We stay in the word. And here comes the hard one. We practice the word. And everyone repeat after me. I will study the word. I will stay in the word. With God's help, I will practice the word. Amen. You know, when Jesus was on earth, his focus was continually on doing the will of the Father. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross for the joy set before him endured the cross. What? What joy was set before him that he would endure the cross? Didn't he say with tears to the Father, if possible, remove this cup? He said that, but then right away he said, but not my will. No, but thy will be done. He focused beyond the cross. He knew what the Father's will was, and doing the will of the Father and fulfilling the scriptures prophesied of him, that was his focus. Destroying the works of the evil one, 1 John 3, verse 8, that was his focus, destroying the works of the evil one. Eternity ahead was his focus. In John 2, 19, Jesus answered them saying, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And he did. He knew what lied ahead of him. He knew the cross was coming. But he still had joy knowing that he was going to be fulfilling the Father's will and fulfilling scriptures, saving us. He knew what lay ahead of him. Well, I think part of that joy was also just knowing that he was saving us from hell by being the atoning sacrifice for our sins and bringing us into fellowship with the Father. I think that was also his focus and his joy. You know, I'm not telling you anything here. We all have hardships, difficulties, trials at various times in our life. James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 tells us that we are to count it all joy. And let faith and patience work together toward perfecting us. Paul tells us in Romans 8.18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And when I first read that, I was, I was picturing Paul saying this, speaking it. Maybe he was just writing it. Either way, whether he was speaking it or writing it, I think he probably stated it a little differently than I just read it. 
I think he probably said something more along the lines of, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory, with the glory, with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I think that's how he meant it. That's how I take it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 tell tells us uh, to run the good race, to lay aside sin, to keep our eyes focused, fixed, stayed on the author and the finisher of our faith. Another version says on the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. God authored, he pioneered our faith. To him be the glory. He called us, he authored and pioneered our faith. And he will be the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. He's working on us daily, hallelujah, for his mercy and his long-suffering with us. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Galatians 6, verse 9 tells us, Do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Let's go ahead and uh, project up Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Another scripture a lot of us like. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Hallelujah. They that wait upon the Lord. We need to renew our strength. Everybody agree with that? Pretty regularly. <laughs> we need to stop charging into something with just our own strength or stop trying to carve out our own path in life. Doesn't work very well. Our power fades out pretty quickly when we're doing things our own way. Our strength is best renewed by waiting on the Lord. But what does it mean, they that wait upon the Lord? Have you ever just paused and thought about that a little bit? Don't get me wrong, I didn't look it up in Hebrew and the Greek and the dictionaries. And They that wait upon the Lord. I don't know, I guess it can mean a few different things. Surely it can mean that we're just being still before God. Be still and know that He is God. Trusting in the Lord. Resting in the Lord. Prayer time with the Lord, not just us speaking, but us listening to, Lord, what would you have for me? You know, even sleep last night, thank you, Lord. Thank you to my daughters who were praying for me to get good sleep last night. I did. <laughs> so that renewed some of my strength, for sure. Uh, I think... There's something else this word can mean. They that wait upon the Lord. I think it can mean serve the Lord. Or service. They that wait upon the Lord. You know, we have, right now as we speak, Adana Maria working, working, working over in the kitchen. Ready to serve us a meal. Ready to serve us a meal. But wouldn't it be awkward if we went walking over there after the service is done and we just saw them sitting off on a little table to the side and we're like, where's the food? And they'd say, oh, it's in the kitchen. There's different things. You can go ahead and cook up whatever you want. If you want some coffee, go ahead and make some coffee. There's one of those cupboards over there. We wouldn't feel too special. We wouldn't feel like we were being waited on. When we go in a restaurant or a place of business, it's nice to be waited on. They that wait upon the Lord renew their strength. I think it is true that we can renew our strength when we serve the Lord. It's freeing. It's relaxing. We're in the center of his will. Ah, feels good. Feels good. Didn't Jesus wait on his disciples? Remember when he was washing their feet? A question I have for us today is what joy is set before us? Where is our, where is our focus? 
Is our focus on the problems around us or on him who told us to be of good cheer? For I have overcome the world. We need to stay focused on the Lord. We all know what happens when we don't. Anxiousness, fear, worry. Life is just robbed from us. We need to stay focused on the Lord. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, Thou will keep him, me, 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 <laughs> in perfect peace. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, whose mind is focused on thee, because he trusts in thee. Well, are we in perfect peace? Are we in perfect peace? If not, I'd say it's a good time to refocus on the Lord and not on the worldly things around us. We may be in the world, but we're not of the world. So we need to be careful what we feed our spirit. Now it's time to pick on Andrew a little bit. <laughs> Andrew, see, I listen at when people give messages, and I get little snippets and tuck them away, and, and they, over time, they grow in me, and I appreciate them. Andrew talked recently about not receiving bad words that weigh us down, but rather taking in good, uplifting words. Everybody remember the floating man with the helium balloons tied to it, and those helium balloons each represented a good word, a good godly word for that special little man. He floated right up after he filled himself with God's good words. It's through the word of truth that we discern God's words for us. And we must regularly be in God's word. Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2 tell us, to set our hearts and our minds set, set, lock them in. Set our hearts and our minds on things above, not on earthly things. Because where we focus, I believe, will determine if we can clearly see the joy that is set before us on the path of life. We've heard the saying, many of us, Kind of a clever saying. I'm going to play with it a little bit, but we've heard the saying, we should not be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. <laughs> I think there's some truth in that. Jesus, as our example, Jesus met not just the spiritual, heavenly needs of people, but he also met the physical, earthly needs of people. But here's where I want to switch it around. Isn't it also true, maybe even more true, that we should not be so earthly-minded that we're no heavenly good? I said, isn't it also true? Isn't it also true that we should not be so earthly-minded that we're no heavenly good? We need to strive to follow Jesus as our example. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, Jesus, you know, there's different times in the Bible where things are emphasized. This, I think, is especially emphasized. Jesus says to Peter, that's right, <laughs> Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord. And Jesus answered, feed my sheep. Then he said to Peter again, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, well, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus answered, feed my sheep. Then a third time, Jesus asks Peter, 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 do you love me? 
poor Peter was getting rather exasperated by now. He says, well, Lord, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So when we wonder what the will of God is for us, what can it be but to feed, to nurture his people, his sheep? That is his will for all of us, to feed his sheep, his people. In 2 Kings chapter 4, I found this to be an interesting story when I came across it not long ago. We learn about a, well, she probably was a dynamite woman, but not dynamite, but a Shunammite woman who had great faith and focus. And she noticed the Lord's prophet, Elisha, occasionally walking by her house on some days. She noticed him. But one of the days when he was walking by, she constrained him to come inside and eat. Now, I got a chuckle out of when I looked up in my little side notes or footnotes in the margins of the Bible. What does constrained mean? It means she grabbed hold of him, brought him in the house so that he could eat. Well, he did so, and he continued to do so each time he would be passing by their house. I'm guessing they had really good food there. (laughs) The woman told her husband that she perceived Elisha was a holy man of God. And they built a room for Elisha to stay and rest at. Elisha asked the woman, what could he do for her kindness? Well, her heart was heavy because she had no child. Elisha assured her, told her, that she would have a son, which after the passing of many months, she did. When this child had grown some, not a lot, but some, he fell down and he hurt his head. His father, who was in the fields, sent a young man with the boy to quickly go to the mother. Well, after a few hours of the boy sitting in his mother's lap, the boy died. Well, she took him up into the little chamber room that they had built for Elisha. She laid him on Elisha's bed. God must have really given her not just a seed, but a whole tree of faith and focus because it didn't seem to shake her too much. She went to find her husband in the fields to get a donkey to go quickly to find Elisha. Her husband asked her, well, why? And do you know what she replied? She said, it shall be well. So she got the donkey and off she went. Later, Elisha happened to notice from behind him that here this Shunammite woman was coming. And he quickly sent his servant to her to ask her if everything was okay with her and her husband and her son. And she told Elisha's servant, it is well. That's a woman of faith. Well, when Elisha finally did hear about the son from the woman, he went quickly with her to the house. He stretched himself out on the child two times. The child revived. Elisha called the woman into the room and told her to take up her son. She bowed, she took up her son, and she went. And that's all it really tells us here. A woman of faith and focus, great great faith. Some might call it woman's intuition, okay, I'll give you that. Or woman's perception. Whatever, she had great faith and focus in recognizing Elisha as a holy man. She convinced her husband of it even. Kind of hard to convince your husbands of some things, isn't it, ladies? <laughs> there was, oh, a few chapters later, I think it's in 2 Kings chapter 8, Elisha actually came back to the woman to warn her to take 
her husband and her, herself and her husband and her son and to leave the land because a famine was coming for seven years. So they did. They left the land. Yes, the famine came for seven years. Yes, they returned after that and received their land and their, their house back. We talked a moment ago about the path of life. We'll put up Psalm 119, verse 105. It says, Thy word, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, God doesn't necessarily show us the end result, the whole picture of our lives before us all at once. And that might be a good thing. But he does shine a lamp upon our feet. I mean, if you think of it, a lamp, you know, puts out a decent amount of light. It just kind of sets out a nice little glow around us. Helps us to have secure footsteps. We can safely see where we're walking. God shines a lamp upon our feet, our footsteps. And he shines a light. I like to think of like a bright flashlight or even a, a lighthouse light, really bright. He shines a light upon our path, which is our journey. We still may not fully know what lies at the far, far, far end of that path, or around that bend, or up and down that hill, wherever he's taking us, our final destination. But in obedience, we take the next step, where the lamp is lit up around our feet, and we look ahead and we find that path. I just happen to be looking right at my wife right now. Well, that was the path I was led to. Hallelujah for that. Sorry, I deviated from the message here a little bit. <laughs> Blame her for that. How do we find this path in life? We just obediently take that next step that he leads us on. We look to his word. It always comes back to looking to his word and his guidance. Proverbs, another verse to be projected here, please. Three, verses five through six, tells us to trust in the Lord with all of thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all of thy ways, all of thy ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct thy, what? Thy paths. So if we want to be, have him directing our paths, we need to trust in the Lord with all our heart, lean not to our own understanding, and in all our ways acknowledge him, and then he will direct our paths. One last time, Psalm 143, very first part of verse 10. Teach me to do thy will. David again crying out, None of you are even there. Teach, teach me to do thy will. What a statement in the midst of what he was going through. What a, what a wonderful lesson to us when we're going through difficult times in lives that we won't focus on the problems or on the difficulties, but that we'll just look to the Lord to teach us even more to do his will. So wrapping up here, we are taught God's will by his word and by the Holy Spirit. With his guidance and his strength and his preparation ahead of time, we do the good works that he's prepared for us to do. We must nurture and grow the spiritual seeds that he has given us. And we must let him direct our paths. First Peter chapter four, verse 10 says, in the New International Version says, each one, each one of us now, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. There's lots of gifts in this room. Hallelujah. Lots of, lots of gifts, people that are watching online. 
Use them to serve others with God's strength and God's help. Let's close with prayer. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for your spirit within us, giving us life, seeing us through the storms of life. We thank you for lighting our way for us, our path, our journey. Oh, we thank you for, thank you for Christ Jesus the Lord, our Savior. Wonderful, wonderful Savior. We thank you for these words today, for all of the words within your scripture. They all bring us life. They renew us with strength. They give us hope, Lord. Hallelujah. As we go forth, Father, plant within us the need to feed your sheep, to nurture your people, Lord. In Jesus' name and all for thy glory. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. We are done with our service, except now we get to go see if there's someone else that wants to serve us a meal. And I'm hoping that Adana Maria will treat you a little more kindly than I did when I was talking about serving. If there's anybody that would like prayer afterwards, please feel free to come up. There'll be some folks hanging around. Other than that, you are dismissed. Thanks for coming.